Today I'm going to be speaking about Jesus' life. We're continuing our Simply Jesus series, as you know. Um, we heard from Duncan speaking on Jesus is God. And then last week we heard from Andy Cooley speaking on Jesus as our friend and advocate. So yes, it's my privilege and it's my honor to be speaking on Jesus is life. And they've really laid a very good foundation, and I'm hoping that I can build on what they've started. My hope is that you will walk away from this, you know, this message with a new perspective on life, you know, a new look on life and how we see life and how we see Jesus as life. Most importantly, the way we answer one of the most important questions that we are asked is a question that we are always asked. We are asked by our friends, our neighbors, and our families. And the question is, how is life? Have you been asked that question before? How is life? I'm just going to ask you to do that right now. You're just going to speak to the person next to you. Just ask them this question. How is life? Some are still going. There's a lot to talk about, isn't it? But before I analyze your response, let me read my text for today. And it's from John 14, 1 to 9. It should be on our screen coming up. John 14, 1 to 9. And it says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do know where you are going. We do not know, sorry, where you are going. How can we know the way? And listen to this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So there seemed to be a bit of misunderstanding happening here. You know, earlier I asked you to talk with each other about the question, how is life? Maybe I could just get a few people just to shout out in a sentence, life is. And then you just fill in the blank. Just shout out, life is busy, complicated, beautiful, not bad. <laughs> Good, good. Life is good. Anybody else? 
Life is great. Challenging. Challenging. Full of surprises. Wow. Wow. You know, I anticipated some of the typical response to this question. And you did answer it. Most people say life is fine. Life is not bad. Life is all right. I got from there. But there were some response. How did it feel when someone um, answered truly? Some people, they're, they're not a bit forward with how is life. Some people, you, some may have been honest with their response, but there are some people, you know, it may be, they may say, oh, yeah, life is good. But then truly, life is not that great, is it? Some people are hurting inside. But what happens when someone really say these things to us, the negative, when they've gone down the negative alley? Life is bad. You know, life is hard. Life is lonely. Life is scary. The question is that if we say, remember what we're talking about, Jesus is? Jesus is? Now, should it have an impact on the way we answer that question? How I answer that question when I am asked, should it have an impact on how I respond to someone who is experiencing the difficulties of life? What, sh what should you say to help them? Does it make you feel awkward when you are having that conversation? Did anyone have anyone have a, probably said something a bit negative? Did you feel awkward? You know, I had an experience just last week, Saturday. We went out um, as a youth group to Graham Park. And um, one of the uh, gentlemen that we met on the way, you were there. And um, we asked him if, you know, if, if there was anything that he wanted us to, to pray about. And we were a bit surprised. Do you want to say what happened? Not that one. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> the, one of the first one that we met, he said, can you pray for me to, to die? You remember that one? He wanted to die. You know, that was a bit, that was one of the first person we met, so that was really a bad start. But, so we had to, you know, be on the spot and, you know, come up with a, a proper re response. So we tried to reassure him that, you know, it's not God's will for him to die but live. And he said to us, you know, you are the very few people who believe that. So I don't know his encounter. I don't know the people who he's been talking to and who's been probably discouraging him and Jesus, so you know, probably encouraging him to go down that route and to be thinking that, that, that way. You know, so there may be people among us. It may be you this morning thinking probably the same thing that, you know, I want to die. Life is hopeless. But I want to say to you that this is, that is not God's best for you. you. You know, you may have that desire, but there's a scripture that says in John 10, verse 10, he came, Jesus came, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So what Jesus offers is for better than what a suicidal spirit, because I believe that was a suicidal spirit speaking to him. Jesus offers life. When you partner with Jesus, he brings his peace. He brings that peace 
into that situation that passes all understanding. On a practical level, it's good to talk about our problems with someone you trust. You know, when you talk, it's, it does something to you. It's like you unload something. Yeah. Within Trinity, we always try to get people to be talking. We meet in, you know, in groups. We even have a, a, a WhatsApp group that um, if you have any concerns, any you know, requests, burden that you're going through, then you, you can put your request there. And we meet in groups. We have small groups. We have life groups. And this is just an opportunity to, to, for someone to come alongside you and say, you know, it's going to be okay. God is with us. You know, you have someone to talk to. You know, for some of you, probably outside church family, it might be that you, you talk with a friend. Talk with a friend. If you're in school, talk with a, your, your, your teacher. Talk to your pastoral team. Talk with a trusted adult. Because sharing a problem and how you feel about it can be the start of sorting it out and feeling better about it. Because when we talk, we're shedding light on the problem. And it often helps us to see the problem for what it is. When we worry about a situation or a choice that we have to make, because we have to make so many you know, choices in life, so many decisions to make, it makes you anxious. And it can make the problem seem even bigger than it actually is. Another thing you can do is to write it down. It helps to write down our problems because it's just another way of unloading. Just unload onto the paper. That, you know, you can even explain it to someone else. So sometimes you can't even explain what's going through, what you're going through. But when you write it down, you're able to probably explain it to someone else. And it can help you to make a connection with others instead of you overthinking it. But we're Christians, and we believe in Jesus. There is a better way. There is an even better way, and it's to talk to Jesus. When life gets horrible, you can simply talk to Jesus because, as the scripture we read earlier, he declared, I am the way. I am the truth. So Jesus knows the way out of any situation. He knows the truth about life. He knows the truth about what you're going through and what seems to be the problem. Most importantly, Jesus is life. And what he offers is life. You cannot give what you don't have. But how can we say that Jesus is life? How do I understand this? You know, we can simply check the scripture. The scripture is full of people who were witness that Jesus is life. You know, and, and I wonder how these people who met Jesus and had an encounter with him. If today I, we, we should imagine they were, you know, probably in the congregation, probably sitting where Duncan is or where Dolly is, some of these great men of the Bible. What if they were in our congregation? I'm sure they would have a story to tell. We probably couldn't stop them. You know, 
they would just be going on and on. We think about John the Apostle. We think about Nicodemus. We think about the man born blind, the 5,000 that was fed miraculously. You can imagine the 5,000 people inside here giving their testimony. We think about Jairus, whose daughter came back to life. We think about Mary. We think about Martha and Lazarus. I wonder, really wonder, what would be their reply this morning? Would it be just a, I'm all right, I'm okay? I think they would have more to say. <laughs> you know, I love all the scripture that John uses to talk about Jesus. Jesus as life. For example, in John 1 verse 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And John 3 verse 16, it says, Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Very familiar scripture to all of us. And in John 5, there's John 5 verse 21. The son gives light to whom he will. But I want to unpack John 1 verse 4 and 5 for a moment. Because I think it will help some of us who may be saying, you know, I don't know, probably one of your answers was, life is dark. You know, life is complex. In the New King James Version, it says in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, it says, And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. For some of you who may have said, life is complex. Look at this verse. It says, John is revealing that God created, because he's talking about Jesus here. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. God created the universe and all that is in it. There's no other explanation to how the universe started. It began with him. So your life and my life, it can never be too complex for God. There's nothing that he would not understand because he created it. If you create it, you know how it should work. So that's why we go to the person, the manufacturer of the product. When something goes wrong with a product, we go back to the manufacturer. We go back to the source. And our source is, is, is God, is Jesus. Nothing is too difficult for him. God created you and he's alive today. It's something to celebrate. He's alive today and his love is so much bigger than any problem that you and I could face. And it's interesting where he says the darkness did not comprehend it. And I think it means the darkness of evil will never, you need to believe this, never overcome or put God's light out. Never. Jesus Christ is the creator of life. And his life, it brings light to mankind. It brings hope to mankind. In his light, we see ourselves as we really are. When Jesus shines his light upon us, it exposes us. We see ourselves as sinners in need of a savior. I'm sure that's what happened to you when you really come to know Jesus Christ. You saw how much you need him and how much you, you have a of a need for his, his life that he offers. When we follow Jesus, who is a true light, we can avoid walking blindly and fall into sin. He lights the path ahead of us. 
so we can see how to live. He removes the darkness of sin from our lives. So I want to ask you this question. Have you allowed the light of Christ to shine in your life? You may be asking, how, how do I do that? It starts by asking. Start, it starts by talking to Jesus, asking him, Jesus, be my guide. So that I don't want to stumble anymore. I don't want to stumble in darkness. And trust me, all who welcome Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior of their lives, you are guided to eternal life, receiving new life, receiving something new. You don't remain the same. It, it changes you. When you develop your faith in Christ, when you put your faith and your trust in Christ, it changes you from the inside out. Similar to the song that we were singing, from the inside out. It rearranges you. It changes you. It changes your desire. It changes your motive. When you accept Jesus as Lord, as life, Lord, and as life. But the question is, have you asked Christ to make you a new person? The offer is there. I want to be a new person. Every, every year we make a resolution. You know, we want to change. We want to try this something new. But we need to trust Christ for a fresh start, which he makes available to, to him, to us. You remember Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? And a member of the ruling council. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders. I think Duncan spoke about them when he first spoke about Jesus is God and he spoke about the antagonism and the fighting that, you know, between the Pharisees and Jesus. So the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders whom Jesus and John the Baptist often criticized for being hypocrites. The problem with the Pharisees was that they were really jealous of all the life-giving work that Jesus was doing. So they saw him as an opposition to what they, their authority. And they were all losing. Probably if they were on Twitter, they were all losing their followers one behind the other. So Jesus often undermined their authority and really questioned their views. And authority never wants you to undermine their authority and try to show them up you know, in, in public. But among them was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was searching, and he believed Jesus had some answers. And he had answers that he believed that he needs to hear. But Nicodemus, being a ruler, he could have sent one of his assistants to check out Jesus. But he wanted to examine Jesus for himself, to separate the facts from the rumors. I believe sometimes it doesn't matter how intelligent and well-educated you are. Just like Nicodemus, you must come to Jesus. You come to Jesus with an open mind and a heart so that he can teach you the truth about God. You personally need to check out God for yourself, not um, relying on rumors. Nicodemus came to Jesus personally because he came at night and he was trying to avoid 
you know, being seen by his fellow Pharisees. And then we learn later when Nicodemus learned that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had the key to life. We learn how he spoke up in Jesus' defense when they wanted to take him away. In John 7, verse 50, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to him, Does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So we discover that eventually Nick, you know, he became a secret believer. Since most of the Pharisees, they hated Jesus and they wanted to kill him. Nicodemus risked his reputation. So he must have discovered something about Jesus to risk his authority, to risk his position. Will you take a risk for Jesus? Will you be bold for Jesus? And I wonder what drove Nick to this position. It's simply because he discovered that Jesus was. Jesus was the way. Jesus was the truth. And Jesus was the life. There was something about Jesus that was different. There's something in Jesus that I want. There's something that he offers that I can't find in my position. There's something in Jesus that I want. The next time we hear about Nicodemus was when he brought this spice for Jesus' body. Do you believe that? This time he was no longer an undercover believer. He was bold. He was bold. He came out with spice. He came out of hiding. We need to come out of hiding and come out to the light, to be, for, for the light of Jesus to shine upon us. When we hear about Jesus like Nicodemus, it should move us to action. It should change us. But sometimes, you know, the life that Jesus offers, it may seem out of reach. Just like Mary and Martha. You know, Jesus had been preaching in the villages beyond the Jordan when he received the news of Lazarus' sickness. But Jesus did not leave immediately, but he waited two days before returning to Judea. He knew Lazarus would be dead when he arrived in Bethany, but he was going to do a great miracle. You remember that? As their brother grew very sick, Mary and Martha, they turned to Jesus for help. Yes? They turned to Jesus for help because they believed in his ability. They believed that Jesus had the answer. They've witnessed, they've been witness to Jesus doing wonders in other people's life. And they were probably confused. But Jesus had his plans. He had a purpose. No doubt if I turned up at Mary's house, like one of the Jews, and asked Mary, similar to what I asked you, how is life after Jesus didn't turn up on time? I can just imagine her saying, 
our life is hopeless at that point. At this point in my life, life is hopeless. There's nothing to live for. Life is unfair. I've seen him done. He, he, I, you know, he was my friend. We thought he was our friend. I've seen him done wonders in others' life. But what about us? But Jesus, he showed up. He showed up after a few days, declaring to Mary. What did he declare? Anyone remember? I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I believe someone needs to hear that this morning, that Jesus Christ, he is the resurrection, and he is the life. And then he went to the tomb where Lazarus was and called him out. I'm going to prove to you, I'm going to let you know that it's not just talk. You know, I'm a man of action. And Jesus went. And he called him out, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Try to imagine after this, all of this happening. Ask, ask Mary, how, how, Mary, Mary, how is life? What would be her response? <laughs> you probably couldn't get her to, to be quiet. You couldn't get her to stop talking. Because by this time, her story had changed. <laughs> In John 11, verse 45, it says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, remember at one point the Jews were, they were like, this man who they counted as their friend, you know, how, how comes he couldn't do something to, you know, to rescue, to save Lazarus? He could have done something. But something changed. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. They believed in Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Mary had an experience with the one who is the resurrection and the life. And I believe we can all, you can have that experience today. An experience with the one who is the resurrection and the life. What we see happening here is what? Is that when we need extraordinary help, because they were in dire need of extraordinary help, Jesus provides extraordinary resources. We should not hesitate to ask him for the assistance. Take the time to ask him for assistance. So Jesus, it doesn't matter what it is. You know it. You know me. You made me. You understand what I'm going through. You have the answer. We should not hesitate to ask him for assistance. Any trial that you have, any trial a believer faces, if you're a true believer, can ultimately bring God, that trial can ultimately bring God's glory. Because God brings good out of any situation. And that was what happened in this case. Amen? Amen? When trouble comes, do we grumble? Do we complain and blame God? Do we? 
Sometimes we do. There's, there's some people who blame God and say, <laughs> why me? You wonder. Or, do we, or do, we, do we see our problems as opportunities to honor him? There's two choices. Jesus loved this family and often stayed with them. He knew their pain but did not respond immediately. His delay had a specific purpose. God's timing, especially his delays, may make us think he's not answering the way we want. But he will meet all our needs according to his schedule and his purposes. Patiently await his timing. And that's one of the fruit of the spirit that you develop. Patience. If Jesus had been with Lazarus in his final hours of sickness, he might have healed him. But rather than, you know, as opposed to letting him die. But Lazarus died so that Jesus' power, his power over death, could be shown to his disciples and those around him. And those to the unbelieving Jews at the time. The raising of Lazarus was an essential display that Jesus is his life. And the resurrection from the dead, and this is where we base our foundation as Christians, <laughs> this is where we have our hope. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Hallelujah. That's a crucial belief that we as Christians, you know, hold on to. That's the hope we have. That's where our faith lies. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And he brought life to many. The good thing is he not only raised himself from the dead. He brings others to life. Hallelujah. He has a power over death. And he has a power over life. Because he is the creator. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, let me show you that Jesus not just offers life to just one individual. It's not just, oh, Lazarus, that was it. Or Nicodemus, that was it. He offers life to all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but whoever Let's go back to the scene of the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that one? A really familiar scripture. The scene happened a few days after Jesus was preaching all day to many people who came to hear him. After witnessing the miracles that he performed, they were all hungry. And there was a little boy who had two loaves and five fish. Jesus decided to multiply what the little boy gave him. In the end, everyone got fed. And they end up with an extra 12 baskets of food. But a few days after, they came looking for Jesus because they wanted more hot bread. To, the, to their disappointment, there was no hot bread. <laughs> Jesus had another source. Jesus had something else. Let's read what Jesus said. Jesus said to them in John 6 verse 35, I am the bread of life. Shock. What? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me 
shall never thirst. And I will just back up to that. It makes me wonder, how was life for that little boy who gave his two loaves and five fishes? Five fish. Is it fishes or fish? Whichever. <laughs> there was one thing we were taught in school. You don't, the plural of fish is fish. <laughs> that was one of the strange English. You know, how was it possible for a little boy to, you know, a little boy to give up his food? <laughs> you wonder. Um, oh, my children are here. We give our children snack for food, yeah, for school. And before they get in the car, <laughs> you know what happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's finished. So this little boy all day with his food, wow, that's a special little boy. But what was his story after that encounter? How was he seen in the village? You, you know, you wonder these things. Because the Bible doesn't say, you know, what happened to the little boy. How did God use him after this? I don't think his life was, remained the same. Because he was used as a source of multiplication. What he had, God used it. I wonder if he went viral on Instagram or probably TikTok. I try to imagine seeing him the next day. You're the one who gave Jesus what you had, isn't it? How's life? How's life? I can just imagine his reply, we got more than we bargained for. I just gave the man, you know, two loaves, five fish. Could you believe it? We went home, all of us, we went home hungry and filled. 5,000 of us. You know, after that event, I can imagine um, they had so much bread. They had so much fish. They probably, they, the bakery shut down. They had to shut down the bakery. They need, we have enough bread to last. The fishmonger probably shut down. No need for a fisherman. <laughs> we have enough fish here. He must have changed. He, he, there must have been made a change. He must be remembered in his community for a very long time, something like that. And that's what Jesus does. When he intervenes, it cha he changes your life. But you can take away the truth about the situation, or you may walk away with the lie. Because in this scripture that we read, in this particular scene, here we find Jesus was critical of the people. They didn't get it because they were following him for the wrong reasons. They did not know who he was. <laughs> they were following him only for the physical and the temporary benefits and not for the satisfying of their spiritual hunger. And Jesus saw this as an opportunity to let them know who he truly is. Jesus made it clear, I am, I am. Come to that word again. I am. Jesus, Jesus, God introduced himself to Moses. Remember when we did that series with Moses? I am. Here's another I am. I am the bread of life. He was using something that they were familiar with. 
to explain something that they couldn't understand, something not so familiar to understand who is. You know, many people use religion to gain prestige. They use it for wealth or even political votes. But those are self-centered motives. Those are the wrong motives for coming to Christ or to be part of a religious group or to be part of a, of a church. True believers follow Jesus simply because they know he has the truth. Going back to our scripture earlier, he knows the way and he is the life. People eat bread to satisfy their physical hunger and to sustain their physical life. We can satisfy spiritual hunger and sustain spiritual life only by a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And no wonder he called himself the bread of life. But that bread must be taken. You have to eat Jesus. And that's why today we're going to be um, taking our, our communion, our bread and wine. And Jesus must be taken. Jesus must be eaten. And he must be invited into our lives. He must be invited into our daily walk to sustain our spiritual life. And so the offer is, will you make that exchange today? Will you give up the little bread and the fish that you have so that Jesus can give you abundantly more than you can ever ask or imagine? Jesus' abundance not just means he gives us good health or a stable job, a good roof over our head, but way more than that. And so if you've never experienced this life with Jesus, you may be here. I want you to know that he offers, he offers new life. Jesus offers a growing life, and he offers eternal life. But before I invite Duncan to come back, and Dola to come back, I want to I pray for you to experience these three things before we partake of the bread and the wine, the wine of communion. If you could just stand with me. Yeah, Father, I want to thank you for today. Thank you. That you come to us as, as life. Because you are life, you can offer life. And so, Father, we pray that we will receive of you, from you, this new life that you offer. We will receive from you this growing life. And ultimately receive eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. That we see you today as the bread of life. And we see you as the one who sustains us. And I pray for those who are thinking of giving up on life right now. I pray that you will just bring your peace that passes all understanding upon them right now. And let them know that you have something better. Let them know that they are loved. And they are accepted. And it's okay. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.